0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Andrew Smiley. If you don't know me, one of our teaching pastors here. And uh, some of you may remember, uh, back in July, I had asked our Hamilton North Campus pastor, Mark Sullivan, to teach here in Noblesville. And today, uh, Lance is teaching up at our Hamilton North Campus up in Arcadia that meets at uh, Remnant Coffee Shop. And so uh, we do this because we are a team. And we really believe that um, it is best for you when you have a variety of voices that open up God's word and and teach and share from our heart that that's actually what's best for our church family. So it's a great morning uh, to see that kind of an action uh, today. And um, I have had uh, the opportunity to uh, be in ministry for, for many years, actually. I, I started in ministry when I was 21 years old. I will be turning 39 in two weeks, which is crazy. Um, but uh, for many years, I, I've had all kinds of roles. Um, I actually started in kids ministry, believe it or not. Um, those were some fun days. And uh, I learned that I was probably better suited for something else. And uh, I started doing youth ministry for many years, a better part of about a decade, and also had some worship ministry sprinkled into my job description from time to time. And ministry is not uh, unlike anything else. If you don't know what your job is, you're not going to do it very well. That's true for you in your job, in your profession. It's true in your home. If you don't know really what your role is, you're not going to be successful in whatever it is that you are doing. Now, one of my favorite lines in any movie actually comes from a very old movie, Uncle Buck. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, John Candy, Fantastic. And uh, Macaulay Culkin, this is pre-home alone. This was really his big break. And uh, he couldn't figure out why his uncle was there with him, uh, watching him and his sister. And so he asked him question after question after question. He's just rapid fire asking question, question, question. And, and then Buck stops him and says, what's your record for consecutive questions asked? And uh, he stops without blinking. Macaulay Culkin says, I'm a kid, it's my job. <laughs> it was his job. And so we used that line quite a bit around our house. I'm a kid, it's my job. Uh, but when it comes to the church, we have been taking a number of weeks walking through the book of 1 Corinthians and we have been narrowing down our jobs. What is your job? What is our job collectively? We've, we've looked at how the church is a body. And it is a body with a head, the Lord Jesus, and we make up the many diverse parts of the body. And Lance, the last couple of weeks, has done a fantastic job explaining some of those different spiritual gifts and how they work together. He's been challenging us as we have been walking through this. Um, so you can turn to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 13 today. And so we have seen lists, all kinds of lists of gifts. We have taken tests. Um, we've even talked about how these all fit together. And all of that is fantastic. That's a big part of what it is that we do. But in chapter 13, Paul kind of calls a timeout. And he reiterates something to us that we must never forget. He reiterates the most important job that we have, that it's something that we cannot miss. Even if we use all of our gifts to their greatest potential, and we do them with amazing power, that if we miss this, we've missed it all. That we cannot forget our number one job. What is our number one job? This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone today. It should be very clear. I'm not being original. That's not my job from up front is to be original for you. This should not be a surprise, but our job is to love. It's to love God. It's to love others. That's exactly what Jesus said. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, that's what the whole Bible says. It's not complicated. God is love, we should love him, we should love others, and that's pretty much it, if you could summarize it. And so today we're turning to one of the most famous passages, the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. Between the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, I think 1 Corinthians 13 might be up there in that group of passages that if you started reading it and people would know, I think that's from the Bible. And this is where we are. And I think a danger that we have is in coming to a passage that's so familiar that that we hear that maybe even brings comfort that we will not hear what God really is saying to us because we just know it, or at least we think we know it. And so Paul is writing something that is going to strike at the heart of the church in Corinth. He said it exactly when he needed to, to who he needed to, and today is no different for us. So when we get here, we've talked a lot about the church in Corinth. When the church in Corinth was around, Paul acknowledged, and we've already seen some of this in chapter 12 especially, just how extremely gifted that congregation was. It was a group of people that had amazing talents and gifts that were given to them by God. I've heard it said that Corinth was not so much like Las Vegas. People compare Corinth to Las Vegas, but Corinth was probably a lot more like New York City. If we were really trying to compare in some kind of a modern comparison, Corinth was a lot more like New York City, where people would go there if they had talents because that's where you could go to be discovered, that's where you would go to become something, to show off what you have learned, to really make it big, you went there, you went to Corinth. And so Paul, knew this, and this church was planted very strategically in the heart of commerce, in the heart of talented people, this church was started, it was very strategic. So Paul loved this church, and, and Paul loved this church because he loved the people there. Um, he knew them, and he knew they were incredibly gifted, that, that he even talks about in this letter that they could speak and they could preach better than any church around. They had shown miraculous abilities. They were healing people. They could speak in unknown languages and interpret this. And and it would wow people that people knew and thought that God is present in this church because these people are so gifted and so talented. They, They could confront truth boldly. They spoke with authority and with power. And they even did miracles. So God was present in this pagan metropolitan place. Yet, if you've been with us as we've been walking through this book, maybe you remember what Paul said to this church. In chapter 11, the verse that, that we've kind of been looking at as kind of one of the focuses of why the body needs to be built correctly and needs all these workouts, and this is it. Paul said this about this church that had all these gifts. He says, it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. <laughs> that, that's still amazing to me that Paul said that to a church. When you get together, you're messing up. You're going backwards. It's not helping you. Even with all of this stuff that we would say, wow, you're going backwards. Paul is very concerned about this strategic, talented church. Hence, all of these workout plans in chapters 1 through 12. And there's more To come, but there is one workout that you cannot miss, that they cannot miss, and that is where Paul starts. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices... Whenever the truth wins out, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of the perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I saw a couple people in the back turn around and look to see if if they accidentally stumbled into a wedding. The doors are not opening. We are not having a wedding here today. It's okay. I know a few of you were anxious, like I didn't dress up right for the wedding today since we're reading 1 Corinthians 13. No. This is not just a poem to be read at weddings. Shocker. That's not where it should stay. It can live there, that's great. That's a fantastic place for this poem. It should be read there, it applies there, but it is actually a job description for all of us every day. And I would say the job could be described this way. Our job is this, to prioritize the permanent over the present that that's how Paul describes what love is, that we prioritize what lasts forever, what is permanent over the things that are present, the things that are right here, right now, right in front of you, that this is the job, this is the task, that that is actually what love looks like is that we're prioritizing the things that matter the most. You see, Paul is telling us what is most important. What is the priority? You can't have multiple priorities. That's what the definition of the word means. What's the most important thing? puts priority? There's only one. And Paul makes it clear that it is love because love is the greatest. It's the most important. It needs to be the priority. And the priority isn't just some generic form of love that you just need to be a loving person. no. It's very specific in how he describes what love is and what we need to be. That the church, we are to love others. Verse one, verse two, verse three. What is he saying? If you could do all of these things, and if you do not do what? Love others. If you don't love others, it's meaningless, it's pointless, it's worthless. Again, yes, when I read this passage, the first person I think about is my wife, Katie. And I think that's appropriate. I think that's healthy. I think that's good. But if I am honest with you and myself today, I think sometimes in the deep parts of my heart, I think, man, it is hard to love that one person this way sometimes. I try my best. Every day, man, I'm gonna try to do this. And that's why it's appropriate that this is read at weddings. Last I checked, your spouse qualifies as another person, <laughs> but so does everyone else. And when I put this category in there, like maybe on the good days, I can be successful with one person. I'm kind of saying, man, I don't know if I do that with everybody else. That is like way too high of a goal. That is impossible if I could do that with everyone. And that's what I do in my head. And that's not what this text is telling us. It's saying, love others. Others. I could give everything I have to the poor. If I don't love others, it's, it's nothing. That is strong. See, Paul is saying our faith, the things that we say we believe, if we, if we talk a big game, we are just noisy. We're just making noise. We're just making a racket if we are not loving. And that's exactly what he says. You're a noisy gong, you're a clanging, synth, but you're just Making noise, you're making a scene, you're gathering, you're doing stuff, and it is really meaningless. It won't make any difference if you do not love. You could have every single spiritual gift. We could bring people who need healing up on the stage and we could heal them in Jesus' name. This could be the most powerful sermon in the history of sermons. I could proclaim the future, I could predict things that would come true and you could watch the tape over. And if I do not love, Paul is saying it is just noise. That's bold. Josiah Gregory said it this way. I found this very helpful. He said, people of little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God and man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes noise because there's nothing in it. Is that true? It's making a lot of noise, why? Because there's nothing in it. If there was a load in that wagon, it would be a lot quieter. We don't need to be loud. That's not our job. We don't need to make a big stink about everything that's going on. We need to be truthful. We need to be faithful. We need to use the gifts that we have. Absolutely, keep serving. But Paul is saying unequivocally, if we do not love, you're just making noise. And that is not what we need to be. I I think of it this way, that there is a container that carries all the spiritual gifts. It's like a cup. And love is that cup. Now, you cannot carry water, if those were spiritual gifts, without a cup. You could, you could try to get some water. And you certainly couldn't share it with others. You certainly couldn't take it anywhere. And love is that container that holds it all. That is how Paul is describing it. In other words, it is the priority end of story. And we prioritize it because love is permanent. Love is permanent. And so we prioritize the thing that is permanent. You see, God is so good to us. This is just good advice. It's good investment advice. Invest in the thing that's going to last longer. Put your time, put your investment in the thing that is worth more. And that's what God is saying. I know this is hard. I know this is difficult. It's not easy. You don't feel like it, but he's just saying it lasts forever. So you should put your investment in that. See, I know that uh, every home has at least one person who is crazy about expiration dates. You have to have at least one. And if you're married, you typically marry the person who's the opposite, who who doesn't care. And the person who cares about expiration dates is like an NFL middle linebacker when you see someone start to drink from the milk that is like a day old and they just take you out. How dare you take anything that is expired for even a second? And I'm not saying which one of you is right on this, but God tells us right here in chapter 13 that everything has an expiration date. So you can take that for whatever it's worth. Verse eight, prophecy, speaking in unknown languages, special knowledge will become useless. They have an expiration date, but love will last Forever. Love is the priority because it does not have an expiration. It will never fail. It will never go out of style. It never ends. And the hard thing for us is it's hard to love. It's hard to think about things that last forever in the middle of a world where everything does not, including our own bodies, the things that we work on, the things that we do. There's so much right in front of us in this present day and time that takes up our time and attention that it is hard to prioritize the permanent things over the present things because they're right in front of us. But we have to. I think we need to ask ourselves, like, do we really believe this? Do I really believe what Paul is saying? Do I really think that the people that we want to connect to Jesus, our neighbors, our family, our friends, that what I really need is love? Do I really think that it would be better if I just love that person? Or do I think it would be more effective if, if I could pray over their home and, and heal their relationships and heal their marriage that is hurting and I could just, God, fix it. That I could heal the cancer in my neighbor next door. If I could just pray and I had the gift of healing and God could heal that person. If I Could say, God, provide the food on the table for this home that that is struggling right now. If I'm honest, I think maybe those other things would be more effective. That they would go, Oh, God is so good. Paul and the Lord want us to see and believe that we need to understand in our hearts that love is more effective than those other things. That's exactly what he's saying. Do I believe that? That's a hard thing to believe. And he he doubles down on this argument because he's saying not only are there gifts uh, and things that expire, on top of that, they're only partial In the present, he says, these things are partial and incomplete, that the things that we worry about are not only temporary, but they only help us a little bit. That's what he is saying. All of our gifts, all of our talents, again, we should serve, we should use them. He's not dismissing this. He's just saying without love, without the most important thing, it's useless. He says they're partial, and they're partial and useless exactly when this time of the perfection comes, verse 10. And this phrase is, could be very confusing. A lot of people have tried to understand this in many different ways. What is Paul really saying? To me, it makes the most sense that he's talking about when Jesus returns. That is when he will bring his kingdom. Everything will be made perfect. That Jesus, who is love, comes back, brings his kingdom. He destroys evil. And when he does that, perfect will come. And when this happens, verse 12, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me. Wow. God knows me perfectly and completely. Isn't this a beautiful poem, a beautiful chapter? I don't know if there's a better one that exists. I think it brings comfort, it brings inspiration. I'm motivated to love better. But after looking at this poem in context, Do you hear what Paul is saying to the church? He is saying something very loud and clear to the Corinthians. You are not doing your job. That's actually what Paul's saying. As I've been studying this week, it almost feels crazy. Like, I've never really seen it that clearly before because no one just sat around and said, hey, Paul, tell me what love is. And then this beautiful chapter about love just appeared. No, this is the 13th chapter of a letter where he has been talking to them. And then he says these things. What he is saying is, people in Corinth, you don't even know what love is. You don't even want to know what love is. Like the band Foreigner, they want to know what love is. You don't even want to know what it is. And are we any better? We can talk about love, but do we even know what it is? We can sneer at the Corinthians. But in our Western culture, haven't we lost the meaning of love? What is it? Love is a romantic feeling. If you Googled love and you clicked on images, what would come up? It would be hearts and Cupid and uh, attractive people probably would show up in your search. That is not at all what is described here. Not even for a sentence, not for a second. That is not what love is. We do not know what love is. Love is not just simple tolerance. I love you because I'm tolerating you right now, or because I'm just nice to you, or I think highly of you. That is not what love is. And so to help us, Paul told us, told the Corinthians 15 things right in the middle of the chapter, probably your favorite part of the chapter, verses four through seven, about what love is and what love is not. Seven of those things tell us what love is eight of those things tell us what love is not. And of the things that love is not, this is what caught my attention. Paul uses all of these words to describe the Corinthian church in chapters one through 12. In chapter eight, he says, you're puffed up, you're proud. In chapter 10, he says, you're self-seeking, church, In chapter seven, he says, you are rude. He uses the word that he used here in Greek for rude. In chapter six, he talks and he rebukes them for keeping records of wrongs, for taking other Christians to court. You see all of these things on down the line, Paul has said, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And in chapter 13, he says, love is not that. You are not doing your job. This is a rebuke of the church in Corinth. You have missed the most important. What are you doing? This is a wake-up call for anybody who says, I'm in the church. This is for me. And the only way that we can do this is by the power of the Spirit. And if you match up the seven things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, It is pretty much exactly like his list in Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit, which starts with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You could match up that list with 1 Corinthians 13, and it is almost spot on. That is what love is. It only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We try to do it on our own and we mess up just like this church. You see, it's really easy for us to think and to be tempted that we need certain gifts to be successful, that our church needs to have a certain facility that we need to do certain things, that we have to have a certain type of staff, or we need to have amazing leadership. We need you to step up and be the best volunteers. We need the perfect music. We need miracles happening up on the stage that people will be talking about, that will be in the news, we'll be in the spotlight, that, that God just needs to be constantly talked about. And of course, we need to serve and use our gifts and do these things. We don't ignore the other things that Paul has told us to do, but we have one job and one job alone, and it is to prioritize the permanent things over the present things. And that is what love looks like. See, God knew the Corinthians would struggle with this. He knew we would struggle with this. And he knew that as much as we want to know what it is, he knew that he just needed to show us And he did. You might think that I'm kind of messed up because I sometimes think about what would you do? What would I do if I had one day left to live? What would I really do? I would empty the bank account. I would do all kinds of fun things. I'd do them with specific people, people that I love, amazing things that I would try to get it all in, you know? we would all have a list of things. Do you know that Jesus had a final day on earth and he knew that it was his last day on earth. You know what he did? He washed feet. He was really patient with his friends who were really annoying him. That's what he did on his last day. He could have done anything. He let people lie about him. And he was really patient about it. He willingly walked into a situation and suffered for other people. This is his last day. Would we do that? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't do that because we aren't Jesus. Jesus loved us so much. If we were Jesus, we would have performed more miracles. We would have healed more lepers. We would have preached more sermons and thought, that's how we're going to change the world. I got one more day. I'm going to do the Sermon on the Mount again. That, That works really well. Let's do that again. That's what I would have done. But no, Jesus said, there is a most excellent way in love. Will change the world. I'm wrong. He's right. And maybe you need to be challenged in this right here, right now. I know I am. I know the Holy Spirit is pricking my heart saying, hey, this message is for you. You need to love your spouse more, you need to love the people in your life, you need to love your family, your kids, your coworkers, your church, your friends, your community more, and maybe the Holy Spirit is saying that to you. But you wanna know something? I know I fail at that. I know I feel bad about that. I know I'm not gonna be perfect even when I try really hard this week. But Jesus isn't waiting to love you when you do this perfectly. He's not waiting to love you when you do certain things right or wrong. You know how I know that? Christ is patient and kind. Christ is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Christ does not demand his own way. Christ is not irritable and Christ keeps no record of being wrong. Christ does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Christ never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You see, the gospel is good news because God is love and he loves you. Whether or not we do our job perfectly or not, you see, the challenge for us is this. And this may sound discouraging, but it's true. We're not the most talented church. We're not the most flashy church. We're not the most strategic church. We're not the most wealthy church. We're not the strongest church. We're not the biggest church. But you know something? We can be the most loving church. And that's the beauty of this is that every church can be. If we embrace what God has given us, the spirit of God living in you and you let the fruit of him work out in your life, we can be and do what Jesus does. And we can understand the gospel for ourselves and show it to others. Let me pray over you. Let me pray these words that Paul said in the first chapter. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these words that you meant for us right now. This challenge that also should be comforting at the same time that we can hold this intention. And God, you promise us in chapter one of 1 Corinthians that you have given us every spiritual gift we need as we wait for the return of the Lord, and that you will keep us strong until the end. And you will keep us free from all blame on that day when the Lord returns. And you promise that you will do this for you are faithful to do what you say and you invite us into partnership with your son, Jesus. May we respond to that challenge today, respond to the love that you give us when we don't deserve it. And may we show that love out of a deep understanding of how much you first loved us.